Let's open our Bibles to Acts chapter 2. Now, we're using still as a basis of our, uh, our text is going to be Acts chapter 2, verses 40 through 47. In the week before the new year, uh, at the end of the uh, 2014, um, I preached a message called Back to Basics. And we're looking at the early church and the things that were basic to the church and the faith. And, and today, what I want to talk about is uh, I want us to consider fellowship. So last week, we talked about worship, those things that are basic to worship. And remember, worship is not just one thing. Worship really is our life. It's our life before God. It's how we live our life. It's, it's all of that and more. And so uh, all of this that we're talking about is part of our worship. Fellowship is part of worship. Uh, and in fellowship, we worship. So all of these things are not separate unto themselves. We understand all of these things as parts that make up a whole. So let's read uh, Acts chapter 2, verse 40 through 47 to the end of the chapter here. Just follow along with me. With many other words... He testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple, and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Father, we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word, to your gospel today. And that you would, by the power of your Spirit, illuminate your word, that it would shine, Lord, as a light in our heart to reveal to us, to make known to us, that we would clearly see your glory and have the knowledge of that glory in the face of Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father. Amen. All right, so verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. This word fellowship is what we want to consider today. And we want to consider the basics, what's basic to our fellowship and what is the basis or what is the foundation? What is our fellowship founded on? Specifically, our, our fellowship in Christ. This word fellowship is a Greek word. It, it's koinonia. And it's a word that, that means fellowship. So in church in the church world and in church language, when we talk about fellowship, there's all kinds of things that come to your mind, right? I mean, fellowship. You think about food, right? Because what, what church fellowship is without food? We don't have church fellowships without food. At least we don't here. <laughs> and so when we talk about fellowship, hey, let's, let, we're going to have a fellowship, we kind of seem to gravitate in our mind to this picture of this gathering of people with all this food, and, and that's fine. But our fellowship is so much more than that. That's really not in reality what this word fellowship means. That can be a part of fellowship, 
So Super Bowl Sunday, we're probably going to have a fellowship and we're going to get together and watch the Super Bowl and we might play flag football, but and we can call that fellowship. But the word koinonia, the word fellowship in the Bible is so much greater than that. That's really not the focus of this word. It's not just getting together and having a party or, or having a potluck. And so what is basic and what is the basis of our fellowship? So all the things that we describe, that we see described in the early church give us a picture of the fellowship they had with one another in Christ. So as we just read these verses of Scripture, we, we go through there and we see that they were baptized. What, what did the baptism do? That baptism identified them as members of that fellowship. It was the sign of their membership. It was a sign that they were part of this new covenant community, this, this fellowship of believers. They continued in the doctrine. What is that word doctrine? It means instruction or teaching. They continued in the instruction and the fellowship of the apostles. The apostles were part of the fellowship, instruction and teaching. This is part of our fellowship today. And we are being instructed from the gospel. This is the apostles' doctrine. This is the doctrine of Christ. This is our instruction. They continued in that. They broke bread together in communion. They prayed together. They had all things in common, the Bible says. They shared with one another as any had need. They continued, it says, in one accord. They had one heart, one purpose in what they were doing. They shared their homes and they shared their food with gladness, the Bible says. And they praised God together. So these are all defining parts of the fellowship they had that they had entered into. But these things are not simply superficial acts of unity. I want you to understand this. They're not just superficial acts of unity or kindness or of religious service. So a lot of people go to church every Sunday because they feel like it's their religious duty to do so. And if they don't go, maybe God might be upset with them. Maybe the hard times they've fallen onto is because they haven't been as regular as they should be, so they become more regular. That's, that's not what this is all about God's not someone that we manipulate through our lifestyle God is someone we worship with our life he's the object of our worship and our worship of God is basic to who we are if we are believers and it is so with our fellowship our fellowship is basic to who we are if we are believers so all of these things were parts and they describe what the fellowship looked like. But true fellowship is much deeper than just these superficial things that we can do on the outside. So fellowship is a deep unity. It's a deep and abiding unity that we have in Christ and with one another. True fellowship is not based simply on common interests or established institutions, or anything that is superficial. True fellowship is much more, and it goes much deeper. True fellowship is based spiritually in the new nature of the new birth. Jesus said to Nicodemus, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Something 
fundamental. Something at the very depth of our core has to happen. There has to be a change that takes place. There must be a change in our nature. There is a common salvation in our fellowship, a common salvation in one Savior, and a trust and a freedom born out of God's love and God's grace for each one and for one another. So the same love and the same grace that's been extended to me is the love and the grace that I am to extend to each one of you. The same love and the same grace that you have received from God is the same love and the same grace that you are to extend to one another. This is fundamental to our fellowship. So our fellowship is one, is with one another in Christ. It's a deep association. It's a true communion. So again, this table, or as Caleb talked about today, this board. Now think about your table at your house, your dining room table. I'm sad to say that in our modern culture, we've, we've, we've kind of lost this. It used to be that the table was the place where the family gathered around and they ate all their meals together and they fellowshiped together. In our modern culture, with our modern schedules, we have unfortunately lost that in many ways. But this is what this table represents. It represents the table that God has prepared for his family that God has set aside for his family, and we come to this table as the family of God. Small and great, rich and poor, black and white, it doesn't matter. We come, and we sit at that table, and we are unified at that table, and what unites us is God. What unites us is the reality that we are the family of God. And God, not you, not me, not anyone else, but God himself has prepared a place for us at his table. This is what the psalmist writes in the 23rd Psalm. God has prepared a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. We come to the table of God. We sit at that table as the family of God. And the enemy wants to hurl accusation against you. And in our unredeemed state, when we were unregenerate and lost in our sin, those accusations, they had power, and they had force, and they were justified when the enemy would hurl those accusations against us. But now, in Christ, because we have become partakers of his divine nature, because by grace through faith, we have come to the one who has washed away our sin we have come to the one who has who has crucified us with him buried us with him and raised us up with him in his life now at that table those accusations no longer have any force whatsoever because god has united us together in him and in his son and so our fellowship is this deep association this true communion it's a close relationship that has marriage as its highest example. I do premarital counseling for couples. In my premarital counseling for couples, I take them through and, and, and we basically, what we do is we just 
we talk about the gospel because this is what the gospel is. Marriage was not an institution created by man. Marriage is a covenant created by God. Marriage is a relationship that God created in the very beginning in the creation of that relationship we call marriage is a picture of something. It's much more than just a picture of a man and a woman who love one another. It's much more than a civil union. It's much, much more than a legal contract. It is a covenant relationship. And the picture that covenant relationship is giving us is a picture of God and his people. So marriage becomes the highest example and the highest expression of this fellowship that we have in Christ. And so we begin to understand that fellowship is much, much deeper. It's much greater. It's founded on something much, much more valuable than much of the simple and superficial things that we base it on and we divide over. And this is why true fellowship can never be founded on anything less than what it truly is. Its foundation is spiritual. It's not carnal. It's spiritual. So true fellowship is deep and vital and central to the relationship of a true family. And when we become Christian, we become one with one another. We become the one family of God through faith in Jesus Christ. God only has one family. And his family is found only in and defined only in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. John writes this in, in the, his gospel in the first chapter, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. The verse before that, verse 11, says this. says, he came to his own, and his own received him not. But to as many as received him. Not everybody is the family of God. We like to say that we're all God's children. No, we're not all God's children. We all bear the fingerprint of God. We're all created in the image of God in, in, in that sense that when God created man, when he created humanity, he created humanity in his image. And we bear that image and we bear the fingerprint of God. But we are not all God's children. Who are God's children? John says this, it says, to as many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Or as Jesus later on says in John's gospel in the third chapter, those who are born again of the spirit. These are the children of God. We are children of God by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, and we are family to one another. This is the basis of our deep and abiding fellowship in the love of God. 1 John chapter 3 gives us another indicator of whether we have truly entered into this fellowship of believers. John writes in his first letter, chapter 3, verse 14, he says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death. By this we know that we have passed from death to life if we love the brethren. Do you love the brethren? This is what 
fellowship is about. This is why fellowship is so important. So when we have a potluck, it's not about whether you liked the dip or didn't like the dip or whether you liked the, the, whether your team was playing or whether it was not playing or whether you liked the music or you didn't like the music or whether you liked the sermon or, or, or didn't like the sermon. The point of our fellowship goes much deeper than those things. Those things may all play a part, but our fellowship is founded on something so much greater, so much more transcendent than those things. This is why the writer of Hebrews exhorts us and says, let us consider one another to stir up in order to stir up good uh, love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And even more, as you see the day approaching. That's not a threat. God's not threatening us. God doesn't want us to to come to church because we're afraid not to. Any more than a spouse wants their spouse to love them because that spouse is afraid not to. I mean, husbands, wives, really, do you want your spouse to love you just because they're afraid not to love you? No. No. You want them to love you because they love you. You want them to be committed to you because they love you and they want to be. Children, this is the childlike faith. This is the faith of a child. A child that's raised in a loving home does not doubt the love of their parents. I know there's dysfunctional homes. And I know there's children all over the world raised in dysfunctional function you don't know the proper love of a parent this is why the bible gives us this picture of what love is this is why the bible gives us in graphic ways throughout the scripture it pictures for us the love of a father the love of a husband the love of a wife the love of a parent for a child gives us these pictures because it's communicating to us the way God loves us and the way we are to love one another. And our fellowship together is founded on this love. And it's not broken and it's not divided because something has disrupted that love or something has uh, brought a conflict in the midst of that love. So fellowship, we see our identity, our instruction, our communion, our intercession, our purpose, our provision, our unity, our homes even, our worship. In fact, all that we are, we have in common fellowship with one another in Christ. This is what we see pictured in these verses in Acts 2 verses 41 through 47. We see that they have all of these things in common. And what we have in common is basic to, and it's the basis of our true fellowship. We have in common these things that form the foundation of our fellowship that everything else is built upon. So I want to draw your attention to three things that we have in common that are the basis of our fellowship. We have a common nature. So that is the identity of nature that comes from the new birth through faith in Jesus Christ. When we are born again, 
we are regenerated into a new creation, the Bible says, with a new nature. The old is passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And we have a common nature born out of the new birth through faith in Christ. Now, we might be from varying nationalities, varying ethnic backgrounds. We may come from different places. We have different parents. But in Christ, we have been brought together and united in a common nature that we have come to become, that we have come to partake of through the new birth in Jesus Christ. So it doesn't matter what my ethnicity is, doesn't matter what my social status is, doesn't matter what my age is, doesn't matter what town I was born in. It, none of that matters. When I am born again, my identity now is no longer that. It is, as far as God is concerned, and as far as you and I are concerned, it should be this new nature that we have become a partaker of through faith in Jesus Christ. We have a common nature. And our new nature comes from a real spiritual transformation that is brought about by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Listen, the power of the Holy Spirit is real. Don't doubt that. And the reality of the power of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with whether God answers your prayers, how you want him to answer them and when you want him to answer them in the way you want him to answer them that has nothing to do with the power of the holy spirit and and we should be very thankful that god is much greater than our wants and our desires and even our needs what is common to our fellowship one of the foundational things that is common to our fellowship is our nature that comes from the new birth. That means something real happens inside of us. If you call yourself a believer today, if you call yourself Christian today, something real, I will assume, maybe to my detriment, but I will assume something real has transformed in your heart that a real transformation has taken place. And God in His way and in His time will bring about, He'll work out that transformation. And it's not my place to think or to want or to demand that God work it out the way I want it to be worked out in the time frame I want it to be worked out in the way I want it to be worked out. That's why we can't look at one another and say, well, you should be like me, or you should be like him, or you should be like her. Paul says it's unwise for us to compare ourselves to one another. Why? Because we're all in different places. But it is very wise for us to understand there, is, there are things that join us together. There are things that are common, that we all have in common. And regardless of where you might be on your faith journey, regardless of what level of spiritual maturity you or I have come to, what is common to us is that we are partakers of the divine nature through faith in Jesus Christ. So my little grandson that I prayed for earlier that reached for me and I took in my arms, he is every bit as human as I am. He's not less human just because he's a little baby. He's just not as grown up as I am, but he is every bit as human as I am. 
when you were born again, you became a spiritual babe. But you became spiritual. You became a child of God. And there may be others who are more mature in their spiritual life than you are, but you are just as spiritual and you are just as alive and you are just as born again and you possess the nature of God and the life of God just as much as they do. You might just have some growing up to do. I still have some growing up to do. My grandbaby, my grandkids still have some growing up to do. And God the Father is growing us up in Christ. Amen? So we become partakers of the divine nature. This is what Peter declares. And we are truly changed. And our fellowship is therefore based on our common nature. We become partakers of in Christ. Another thing that we have in common is our salvation. We have a common nature and we have a common salvation. That means we have a common Savior. Jesus said in John 14, 6, he said, I am the way. Notice he didn't say I am one of two or three ways or one of many ways. He is the way. We have a common salvation. That means we have a common Savior. And he boldly declared himself to be the way, and he still today makes that declaration. That has not changed. I don't care what the TV says. I don't care what philosophers say. I don't care what pastors say. And you'll find a lot of pastors who will tell you that there are many paths to God. I've known some of them. And I will sit in meetings with them, and I will be polite to them, and I will, but I do not count them as part of the fellowship. Because you cannot believe some things and be part of the fellowship. Do you understand the difference? Men, ladies, when you go out in public, and in, in whether it's in your jobs or in your daily activities, men, you meet women that you have to work with, but you don't have the same relationship with that woman as you do with your wife. You better not. Or you better repent. Now, just because that woman or just because that man's not your spouse doesn't mean you're, you're rude, you're unloving, you're mean. Not at all. But you recognize fundamentally, I do not have the same relationship with this person as I do with my spouse. As believers, when we go out into the world, we don't go to the world to judge and condemn and point a finger and act like we're something better than they are because we are all sinners saved by grace. But by the grace of God, I would still be lost and out in the world. But by God's grace, he has made me a partaker of his divine nature. But when I go out into the world, there is no mistaking that I don't have the same relationship with the world as I do with my fellow believers, with those that I am in fellowship with. I don't have the same relationship with them. I'm not supposed to have the same relationship with them in any way, shape, or form. 
So we may disagree on things not central to our salvation. We can do that within the fellowship. But on the central issues of our salvation, we cannot waver. We can't we cannot have true fellowship if we cannot hold those central issues to be true. Those central issues that teach us the who, the what, the when, the where, and the how of our salvation. We may debate when Jesus will come again, but we cannot debate that he has come and that he came in the flesh and that he died and rose again to save men. We may debate the many things about heaven and hell, but we cannot debate the reality of both. We cannot debate the truth that God sent his son to save us from something and to something. That is a reality. These truths are common to our salvation and they form the very basis of our true fellowship that is born out of his true love for us. So our fellowship is based on a common nature born out of a common salvation through our common Savior, Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 makes this clear declaration, for there is no one, no other name under heaven given among men by which man must be saved. That is the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That name that is given is the one and only name of Jesus. Our fellowship is based on our common salvation in our common Savior. There's another thing that's common in our fellowship, and it is a common trust and freedom that we have. So many of you who've come to my table on Friday nights and we, we get together on Friday nights, and we're in between books right now, but uh, the ladies have a book uh, that they read sometimes, and the guys have a book they read sometimes, and sometimes we all read a book together. Uh, but usually on a Friday night, you'll find a group of people. Uh, my, my door is open. My table is open. I always tell people, you don't need an invitation. Just show up. And, and there's always a pot of coffee, and we sit around the table, and very often we sit around the table and we talk about we talk about life and we talk about the scripture. We talk about these things. And, and sometimes we don't always agree on what we are discussing. And you know what? That's okay. I, I personally think that it's healthy because it should motivate us. It should, it should cause us to want to dig and to look and to, to, to wonder, why do you believe that? And I believe this. It's not that we all have to believe everything the same way. There are some things we absolutely have to believe the same way. There's plenty in the Bible that's left open for, for a debate and for us to, to, to have varying opinions on. And so this is the trust and the freedom. It's not just about those things, but to know that we can go to one another in our time of need, in our time of weakness, and there is a trust and a freedom that we have because we know that our brother or our sister has our back, that we can go and say, pray for me, help me, I need your support, and we're not worried that they're going to go and they're going to they're gossip or they're going to go and they're going to use that thing against us to harm us because love covers a multitude of sin. There has to be this trust and this freedom within the fellowship that we know that we have one another's back. I never, I don't have to question the love of my wife or my children. I know they love me. I don't go to sleep at night and have one eye open wondering whether my wife's going to get up in the middle of the night and 
and take my life for the insurance money. I just don't, that thought never enters my mind. There is a trust and there is a freedom. And so that means that we have a liberty guarded by unity and secured by love in all things. Fellowship is not one, it's not a one-way street. It's, it's a give and a take. It's like a, a marriage or any other relationship or friendship. There's got to be a give and take. There's an interaction that takes place. It's not a one-way street. And the only way that interaction is going to take place is if people feel and know there's a, a trust and a freedom there. Sometimes people will call me or they'll come to my office and, and they'll walk in and, uh, and they'll say, now, I know this is going to be a stupid question. And I always stop them and say, no, don't say that. If you have a question, don't, it's not stupid. A child can go to their parent and ask a question. They don't, they don't wonder whether their parent's going to accept them or not. That's the way it should be. When we come to our Father in heaven, we shouldn't wonder whether he's going to accept us or not. We know that he will. Why? Because of the blood of Jesus. Because of what Jesus has done. Because Jesus has made a place for us at the table. Because we are family. Because we are children of God. And if God accepts us that way in the fellowship that we have in him, then we are to accept one another that way in the fellowship we have with one another in him. So fellowship is this give and take, this back and forth, this interaction among and between people. And that can only take place if there is a common trust and freedom. That, and that common trust and freedom is nurtured in our common nature, in our common salvation. Let me reference you back to 1 John chapter 3, verse 14, where John says, By this we know that we have passed from life and death if we have love. For the brethren, that whole epistle, that whole letter, John's whole letter there is about loving the brethren. It's about the reality of our faith. And John takes faith, it takes salvation right where the rubber meets the road. It says, forget all of your, your uh, doctrinal statements and forget all of your confessions and forget all the things I hear coming out of your mouth. That's good and that's necessary but if you do not love your brother those things are meaningless those things only have meaning if we have love for the brethren and he says you have passed from life to death you know that you have passed from life to death if you have love for the brethren if you love the fellowship because the brethren is the fellowship. You can't separate the fellowship from the brethren. And you can't separate the brethren from the fellowship. Jesus Christ did not die for a faith. For you to have. And to exercise. And to walk out personally by yourself. Apart from anyone and everyone else. That is not Christianity. That's liberalism. That's paganism. That's the belief of infidels. That is not Christianity. You cannot separate Christianity from the body of Christ. They are one and the same. Christ died for his body. Christ 
came to take for himself a bride. And you and I, we are that bride. And we cannot despise and hold in contempt one another and say that we love Christ. Impossible. And we can't love from a distance and from afar. Be like the be like the husband who never came home but kept calling his wife and sending notes saying, I love you, honey. Just not coming home. But I love you. Rest assured I love you. Rest assured we're still married. Rest assured you can still have my name. Or the wife, the, the better picture would be the wife who says to the husband, honey, I'm still going to take your name and I love you, but I'm not coming home. I'm over here with this other man. But I want you to know I still love you. I still want all the benefits of having your name. I still want all the benefits of being called your wife. I want you to know I love you. But she never comes home. She never fellowships with him. She never has intimate moments with him. There is no real relation. It's only in name. That's not what Jesus died for. Jesus died for something real. Jesus died for a real people. He died for a real bride, a real fellowship that's founded on a common nature and a common salvation and a common trust and freedom. And we know that we've passed from life and death because we have love for the brethren, because we love the fellowship. Do you love the brethren? Do you love the fellowship of the saints? This is central to your salvation and to your passing from death to life. True Christian fellowship cannot be, by its very nature, superficial. We can do superficial things. We can have superficial fun. But that is not the foundation of our fellowship. We can go hiking and camping. I love to hike and camp. And some people can call that superficial. But I love to hike and camp with the people of God. We always, you know, say, hey, anybody wants to come, come on. Now, not everybody likes to hike and camp. I get that. Not everybody likes to drink coffee like I do. I get that. But our coffee, our, our fellowship is not based on whether you like my coffee or not, or whether you like to go camping with me or not. Our fellowship is based on something much greater than that. We just get to express it. We get to enjoy it together, maybe outdoors, or maybe around a cup of coffee, or maybe around a nice meal, or maybe watching the Super Bowl. But the foundation, the very basis of our fellowship, it's not those things. It's much greater than that. So tomorrow, oh no, today, Oh, some of you are probably thinking, when is he going to shut up? Because the Cowboys are fixing to kick off. It's Packers-Cowboys right now. Go Cowboys. Some of the cheeseheads aren't here today. One of them is, though. Marvin's a cheesehead. I, you know, poor thing. Cheese, we got a couple of cheeseheads here. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah. We tamed the lines. We're going to grate the cheese today, Okay. And we can have fun with that. That's not the basis of our fellowship. No. 
true Christian fellowship cannot be, by its very nature, superficial. We can have dessert, but your diet can't be built on chocolate cake, candy, and ice cream. And if it is, you will eventually suffer the tragic event that will inevitably occur. Right? If our fellowship is only built on these things, these external things, eventually that fellowship is going to crumble. The same is true for our fellowship. It must be built on more than superficial issues. It must be built on our common nature in Christ, our common salvation in Christ, and our common trust and freedom in Christ. Peter says in the second chapter of his first letter, verses 9 and 10, you are a chosen generation. Let, let me read that to you. Turn over there to 1 Peter chapter 2. Verse 9, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him. Why did God call us into this fellowship? Why did God choose us? Why did God make us his own special people so that we could proclaim the praises of him who did what? Who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, you were once not a people, but you are now the people of God. You once had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy in Jesus Christ. This is the fellowship of the saints. It is the fellowship of God's own special people. You have become that by the grace of God through faith in Jesus. You did not do this on your own, and thank God you didn't. It is the free gift of grace but do you realize this free gift and do you see the benefit of being part of this fellowship? You once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You once had not obtained mercy, but now you have obtained mercy. You who were outside have now been brought inside. You have now been made the family of God. You are called children of God. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes in the 6th chapter, what fellowship does light have with darkness? What fellowship does the temple of Satan have with the temple of God? And the answer is none. What fellowship does sin have with righteousness? The answer is none. And we're not, not sinful because we manage our sin very well. It's like the old saying, I don't, what, what's, how's it go? I don't drink, smoke, or chew, or hang with those who do. Listen, drinking, smoking, and chewing may be um, bad habits, especially if you do any of them in excess, right? But just because you don't drink or smoke or chew doesn't mean you're righteous. Your sinfulness goes much deeper than that. And your righteousness goes much deeper than your ability to manage those things. We were all sinners until Jesus washed us. And we still commit sinful acts and have sinful thoughts. And that doesn't make me unrighteous. It makes me thankful for his grace that in spite of the fact that I still fail on a regular basis, the grace of God doesn't give me a license to sin. It covers me and washes away my sin. And gives me a heart that is thankful for the grace that's been extended and poured out. 
Paul writes in Ephesians 5, 8, you once were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So by God's grace, he has shed his light into your heart that we might see and know the glory of God in the face of Jesus. God shone a light in your heart and has brought you into fellowship with him and with his family. To all who name the name of Jesus, he has given a common nature, common salvation, and a common trust and freedom in Christ. For those in the fellowship of the saints, we have been given his nature, his name, his trust, and his freedom. And we've been given that for this end. And that end is his glory. Amen? Our fellowship is to build up his body. That means our fellowship should be building each other up. We come here week in and week out to worship God, to acknowledge God, but we don't do that apart from this purpose, that we build up one another, that we edify one another. That's what that word edify means. It means to build up. So our fellowship is to build up his body, but above all, it is to glorify him. And in our fellowship, that most glorifies him. Listen, we will be most built up and experience the most joy, the most peace, and the most love. And in that, our witness will be most effective, the gospel most powerful, and his glory most known. Amen? Let's all stand. So I challenge you to embrace, to nurture, and to continue steadfastly in fellowship. To look for ways and opportunities to not only participate, but to extend that fellowship to those in your life and around your life that they too may come to know the love of God and Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would, by the power of your Spirit, do these things. We confess, God, that we cannot in and of ourselves do any of this. God, we're not strong enough, we're not smart enough, we're not wise enough. Lord, in fact, the more that you open our blind eyes to see your glory, Lord, the more we come to a realization of our salvation in Christ, the more we are aware of your grace, the more desperate we become. The more we see how needy, how wanting, how weak we really are in and of ourselves. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually, I believe, a good thing. So Lord, when we find ourselves in weakness, when we find ourselves wondering how we can accomplish something, how we can talk about this, how we can demonstrate this, how we can do this. That God, we will remember that it's not our place to figure that out. It's our place to come to you, to fall before you in desperation and cry out for your grace to be the power that enables us to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Thank you, Lord, that you did not leave us to ourselves, but you came and you died and you rose again 
And you prepared a table for us. And you made a place at that table. And you call us family. And even greater than that, God, you call us children. We thank you that we are, by grace through faith, children of God. Bless your children today, Father. And let them be witness to you and bring glory and honor to your name. And all God's people said, Amen.